Exodus chapter 8, and we're going to read from verse 20 to the end of the chapter. Exodus chapter 8. This portion recounts what took place with the fourth of God's plagues against Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, to the end that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so. And there was a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do. For we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and they will, will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, as he shall command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. There remained not one. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. May the Lord add his own blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. 
This morning we're going to consider verse 24 as our text. It simply says again, And then the Lord did so, and there was a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, and into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarm of flies. I want us to think about that this morning. I'm taking as my title, Corrupted by Flies. May the Lord be pleased to meet with us. Before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to bless our time. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless this time. Bless it by allowing the Spirit of God to come into our midst and to take our hearts in hand. Allow us to know the speaking of your voice to our hearts. Lord, allow us to know the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus at work. We pray that you will this day anoint your word to do in us a work that needs to be done. Help me as thy servant, I pray. Guide thought and word. Lord, direct by the Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We have a very interesting plague that is occurring at our house. We have had, for the last couple of summers, fruit flies wanting to make our home their home. Now, that may not seem like a very severe or a very big deal, but... After a few attempts to rid ourselves of these things, their continued buzzing here and there and everywhere becomes quite aggravating. Now, with fruit flies, I think it's the law is if you kill a hundred of them, there are bound to be that many more just waiting to take wing and fly in your face or get in your coffee or something of that sort. Our small plight caused me to think of another time when flies were not only a pest, but there was such an intense plague that a land was completely ruined by them. That is what we read of in Exodus chapter 8. The land, we are told, was corrupted because of the flies. That means that the land was made virtually a place that could not be lived in. The flies were so bad you couldn't even live in the land. Now if we think uh, for just a minute, we stop and think for a while about the incidents of Scripture, we find that the Lord often gives these pictures to teach a larger lesson that every one of us needs to learn. Now, to some people that look at what we read today, the lesson might appear to be that if you harden your hearts against God, uh, you will face plagues. That brings you to the end of yourself. Well, that may be. It is true that God often breaks the hearts of stubborn men in order to bring them to repentance. Such was the case with the Apostle Paul. He resisted God, and the 
words that the Lord Jesus uses when he revealed himself to Paul. He said, Paul, I am poking you in the side with a cattle prod, and it's hard for you to kick against that, isn't it? I'm doing a work of mercy in you, and it's hard for you to kick against my ministering to bring you to the end of yourself. The Lord did that with Paul in order to save him. But let me tell you something. Sometimes men harden their hearts and God leaves them completely alone. That is not uncommon. They are never spoken to by the Lord again. And they lose their soul. Don't just think that you can resist God and it have no effect that you'll be able to turn and repent someday. You may not be able to. But I think that the plague of the flies teaches us another lesson. In addition, that is a lesson that deals with the nature and effect of sin. I want you to think with me about this, and maybe you can get our minds around this if we think hard enough. Sin can be like flies. Let me say that again. Sin can be like flies, especially the kind of flies that are spoken of in Exodus chapter 8. The land was corrupted by the flies. And I would say to you, a land can be corrupted by sin. But even more particularly, a life can be corrupted by sin and ruined by sin. And I say there's a lot that the flies show us about what sin does. So that's what we're going to think about for a moment this morning. I want us to think on the subject that sin corrupts. And the only one that can change this is the Lord Jesus. So let's consider the flies and the plague that they were and see what we can learn. So I've got just a couple of points. First, I want us to think about the extent. The extent. How much of a plague were these flies? To what extent did they corrupt the land? To what extent did they cause misery? How pesky were these things? Now, in our experience here in America, when we read of the flies, probably the thing that comes into our minds is that we have a picture of pesky house flies buzzing everywhere and getting into everything. Now, there are a few things, I will admit, that are as irritating as a fly buzzing around your head or getting onto your food. The only thing that I think perhaps is more irritating than that is trying to sleep and you hear a mosquito buzzing around you. You ever had that happen? I can't tell you how many times I sat awake trying to spot a mosquito in my room knowing that I dare not go back to sleep because if I did, that mosquito would get me. So I was going to get him first. I don't know how much time I wasted looking around the room trying to spot a mosquito just because I heard him. 
These were not mosquitoes. Though there's something about mosquito that's similar to these flies, and I'll bring it up in just a moment. A.W. Pink, who was a well-known commentator and Bible scholar, points out that in the Word of God, we don't have the word flies um, in the actual text. It is a supplied word. It says swarms, and then you see in italics, of flies. He stresses the idea that here was swarms. He wants you to think about this. Swarms of these flying insects. And he says this can denote a couple things. First, he says that the insects that are being spoken of here that invaded the land were of various sorts. It wasn't just a house fly but all different kinds of flying bugs. Can you imagine if you not only had house flies in your house, but you had swarms of mosquitoes, and you had swarms of gnats, and you had swarms of uh, all kinds of horse flies, and then you also had, I'll throw in that, maybe some yellow jackets, and you had all kinds of flies. All these swarms of various flies, so to speak, were now taking over the land. And getting into everything. You couldn't be in your house. You couldn't walk on the ground because they were so dense. All over the place were these swarms. He says they flew. But the insects that are being talked about here in Exodus chapter 8, he says, and I think he's right, were something that was much meaner much more vicious than just an ordinary housefly. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, if you were to look at Psalm 78, verse 45, it comments about the Lord sending these insects. There's a, a recounting of the plagues. But in this verse, it says, he sent divers or different sorts of flies among them which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. So he's saying one of the things that the Lord sent was a flying insect that was so vicious that it actually devoured them, so to speak. In other words, what he's saying is that these flies perhaps stung or maybe they bit. And the effect of the bite was so bad that many in Egypt died. Could you imagine that? Here's flies and flies and bugs and who knows what kind of horse flies. And here they are, just swarms upon swarms, and they're on the people, biting them and biting them and stinging them to the point where some of these people just couldn't live. Now, imagine this. It says it corrupted the land. Who else was affected? by all these flies. We'd have to say, well, the animals were, weren't they? Cows, horses, all kinds of different livestock would have had the same problem. You ever see a cow plagued by flies? I, my sister and brother-in-law had a dairy farm and I spent a lot of time there. 
and they had a fairly large herd and they turned the cows out to pasture and the cows would walk around but there was one part of the cow that was never stopped in its motion and that was its tail constantly constantly that cow was moving its tail why because on the cow constantly were flies and the cow would use its tail to swat at the flies I've seen horses do the same sort of thing you think about other animals what they would do but here's the point they were so dense and they were so vicious that not only was it that humans would die but also it was dividing and devouring the land it was causing death it was just a massive massive problem the other thing that pink points out is that the sheer number would indicate that they virtually destroyed everything I've got something in my yard and I still have yet to figure it out because I have not seen it but something is eating my tomatoes and I just don't appreciate that I'll go out and I'll see one tomato there and he looks perfect on the one side and I oh boy I've got one good and you pull it down and you turn it around and half of the thing is gone on the other side and you go, what has been at my tomato has it been a tomato worm well I haven't seen any tomato worms has it been a, a bird or something in it? well I haven't seen any I don't know I haven't seen any insects or anything on my tomato so it's a mystery to me but you could imagine if you had a swarm that everything that was out there that would be produce or growing would be affected by this everything and everyone was unceasingly harassed by these flies have you ever had a horse fly chase you you know what I mean by a horse fly you ever had a horse fly chase you if you go like this with a common fly he might fly off and leave you alone for a little bit but do horse flies do that you know what I mean by those? You can swat it and it's right back at you. you swat, he will not leave it on. And just buzz, buzz, buzz. You cannot get them away. And when they bite, you feel it. Could you imagine a swarm of flies like that attacking you all the time? Not just for an hour, not just for part of a day, but all the time, day and night. You can't get rid of them. You can't go anywhere to get rid of these things. They're in the houses. They're outside. They're in the barns. They're in the fields. Everywhere these things are on you and at you and biting you and stinging you to the point where you could even die. Another thing that Mr. Pink points out is this. Well, let me just ask the question. How many flies are in a, in a swarm? Three, right? How many flies are in a swarm? 212? The point is, if you have a swarm, they are more than you can count. They are more than you are, can count. I say in some ways you want to remember that. I'm going to come to a point in just a moment and I want you to think with me about what fly, these flies do. Mr. Pink also makes this as a very important point. He says 
it is to be observed that these insects, whatever they were, the various kinds, were sent of God to torment the Egyptians. Now here's his point, and here's my point. This torment, what the flies were doing, is exactly what sin does. Is exactly what sin does. Here, God gives us a picture of the everlasting torment that comes to those that harden themselves against God. This torment does not end. You can't get away from it. It's everywhere. And it is not just one thing that torments. It is without number the things that will torment the heart. Please hear. Sin is like this. Also, you need to keep in mind this. That the word swarms would indicate to you that there is no such thing as one fly by himself. You say, why are you, what, what, do you, what do you mean? My point is this. There is no such thing as one sin by itself. No such thing. Sin is never singular. It brings its legion of brothers with it. Let me explain to you what I'm saying. If you have one sin that you're looking at, you better be sure that there have been others that led up to it. A man who steals, now is stealing a sin? A man who steals something, is that the only sin that he committed when he sins? When he steals? Is that the only sin? Well, there's other things. Perhaps there was jealousy in his heart before. Oh, how is it that so-and-so has something and I don't have it? That's not fair. Perhaps there was coveting that was going on. Perhaps there was dishonesty. Perhaps there was a lie or a deception that was in place to put somebody off the trail, so to speak, that would give him an opportunity to steal. How many things could go along with that? Sin is never by itself. You know... When the scripture says that if any man offend in one point, he's guilty of all, we think, well, you can only sin. You can't. You, maybe it just means one sin. If you only sin, you cannot sin just one sin. It doesn't work that way. If you have any sin, the very first thing you could say is, you don't believe God. You're guilty of the sin of unbelief. And because of that, there are other things. You cannot sin singularly, it comes in swarms. A man who lies is a man who is first found guilty for some other sin that he tries to cover up. The point that I'm trying to make to you is that the extent of the destructive nature of the flies cannot be appreciated. They devastated the people. They made the land to stink. Let me say this to you. You don't know this, and the world does not allow for this to be understood. They deny it at every hand. But sin makes the land to stink. Sin will make your life stink. 
You may not think so, but it does. And I say this morning, if you'll hear, understand this, that our sins against God, our disobedience, our refusal to do what God says, our refusal to believe our God, it corrupts. It corrupts the minds and hearts. Understand this. You know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of dreams and hopes for their lives. You know the thing that spoils all dreams and hopes? Well, it's because people take advantage of me. They don't give me the opportunity to blah, 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 blah. No. What spoils your dreams and your hopes has nothing to do with anybody outside of you. It is your sins that will spoil your dreams and your hopes, what you're working for, the things that you love. It ruins opportunities. It ruins usefulness. Sin is like these flies. But worst of all, sin separates from God. The extent was the land was corrupted. Meaning it was as if it had died and was decaying. I want you to see then, secondly, the effect. I want us to think about what flies do. Now you say, well, you've just been dealing with that. Well, that's true. But I want to be more specific here to tie in what sin actually does to us. Now, there are probably a bunch of other things that I could list here, but I, I'm going to limit myself to just three. First, I want you to see this. Sin distracts. Think about a fly, if you will. If you have a fly buzzing you or biting you, it's hard to set your mind on what you're supposed to be doing, isn't it? If you had, let's say, a mean old yellow jacket that was buzzing you, and, even though, and you were trying to write a letter, what do you think it would do to your letter writing if you had the yellow jacket buzzing right by your nose? Well, would you just ignore it and keep on writing? No, it distracts you. Sin distracts. In fact, we might even ask this, how many accidents have occurred because of people trying to swat at a fly or a bee and lost control of what they were doing? You know what I'm saying. Sin is like that. But imagine if the fly could bite, and here's what I was going to mention before. Many scholars believe that these flies were not the kind that just bit you, but they were sort of like mosquitoes that they like to bite you and then drink the blood that comes up. So they were not only vicious to bite, they were vicious to try to take your very lifeblood away. Well, if you knew that what was buzzing you or swarming around you was like that, you'd be distracted, wouldn't you? You'd be saying, I I can't sit here anymore. I can't be in this place. I've got to get out of here. My point to you is this, sin does distract. When you are caught up with sin, when your mind is all on what you are doing that is not right, and you know it's not right, you will never think rightly. In other words, oh, no, 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 we can think rightly. 
we can assess what we're doing. We're, after all, we've got college degrees and we've got, no. When you are filled with sin, you will never see anything rightly. You'll not think rightly. You can't do it. You're distracted. You will end up in a ditch spiritually. And you could possibly never come to understand the truth of God's saving gospel. Many men are like that. They are so filled with their sin and their love of it that they never really ever give thought to the gospel. Flies distract. Second, flies defile. I'm sure everybody here knows what I'm saying when I say this. Flies breed on that which is rotten or rotting. And because of that, all the filth and all the bacteria of the rotten things that they have been on make them especially dirty. They carry all the filth of what they have been on that was rotting. In fact, the scriptures even comments to this in Ecclesiastes 10 verse 1. It says, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly to him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. You do that which is evil. You do that which is wrong. You sin. It will cause you to have a stink because sin is filthy. It's like flies that are crawling with bacteria from the dead thing that they've just been sitting on. Oh, understand, sin held in the mind and heart will cause the whole of a man's soul to be filthy. He will love evil and hate righteousness. He will love that which is fleshly and rotting and despise the things of God. He'll love darkness rather than light. Why? Because light will show the rottenness, the dirt, the filth of his doings. The point of it is, if you hold on to your sin, it will be that which utterly causes your mind to become a slough. Do you know what a slough is? Has anybody ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Has anybody ever read that? There was a point in that book where Christian... And his ne'er-do-well accompaniment, uh, t- uh, pliable. Thank you. I always get it. You must have read it. Very good. They're on their way to seek this, uh, the celestial city, and they fall into the slough of despond. Do you remember when Pil- uh, Christian says, what is this place? The description was, that this is the place where all of the offscouring of the earth comes. This is the place that collects all the filth. That's a slough. Your mind, when set on sin, eventually becomes a slough. And also, I want you to see this. Flies duplicate. Now, the word that I really wanted to use here was multiply, but I had two D's and so I had to have another D. So 
So I said, well, uh, flies duplicate. So if every fly duplicates and the duplicate duplicates, it's the same thing as multiplying. So I said, okay, I'll use that word. Flies multiply, they duplicate. Do you understand that that sin is exactly the same? One sin leads to another sin, which leads to two more, which leads to four more, which leads to more and more and more. And the situation becomes so bad that there's nothing but ruin and shame at the end of it all. Be sure. Your sins will find you out. They will show you to be what you are. And like that demoniac that had all the legion of devils within him, that's a picture of what sin is in the heart. It multiplies and makes a man tormented. And then he has to work twice as hard tomorrow as he did today to convince himself that he's not tormented. And then he has to work twice as hard as that the next day after. Things that he thinks would bring happiness don't. So there's got to be something different, something new. No, it doesn't work. So my last point is this, the exhortation. The exhortation. The message to Pharaoh in Egypt was plain by Moses. Essentially, it was this. Obey God. Repent of your stubbornness. Repent of your rebellion against God and obey. They were to repent. Why was it needful? Well, because this plague was not something that Pharaoh or his people could just shove over into a corner. There was no remedy that was going to be known by itself. And I say the message to us is the same. When we see the plague of sin within us, we must repudiate it and humbly turn from it, confessing that sin to the Lord. Why? Because of this. Here is the message I want you to remember. Only the Lord can take sin away. Only the Lord can remedy the plague. Only the Lord can stop the torment. The flies were not going to leave Egypt by themselves. The Egyptians, by changing their habits and doing good to each other, were not going to take the flies away. God had to remove the plague. My point is simple. Our sin will not just go away. We cannot solve it by being better or doing good. We need the Lord to take it away by His power. And that's why the Lord Jesus came. Oh, hear me. The Lord Jesus came to take away your sin. Because He's the only one that could do it. And in fact... Think of it like this. He gathered up all the flies, if you will. He gathered up all the swarms and took them away, never to be seen again. When the Lord Jesus takes away your sin, how how many does he leave behind? You know, there's an interesting statement in verse 31 of chapter 8 here. It says, when the Lord took away the swarms and removed the swarms, it says, there remained not 
one. Well, what about this one that's over here underneath? You know, there's a leaf over here laying on the ground. Perhaps there's one that's underneath that leaf. Or maybe there's one that's underneath the bed. Nobody looked underneath there. Perhaps there's one that's sort of left in the... No, the scripture says that the Lord took all of these swarming insects away. Not just 99% of them, all of them, every one. Do you understand that that is a picture of what the Lord Jesus does when he takes away our sin? He doesn't take away just 99% of it. He takes the whole. Or as 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. God had to take away the plague. And you know what? The Egyptians knew this. This was not lost on them. This was not something that they said, oh no, we're going to solve it ourselves. No, because when Moses went out from Pharaoh, Pharaoh's last words to Moses was, entreat for me. In other words, pray for me because I understand and I see that the only remedy for the multitude, the swarm that's on me is that God takes them away. Oh, hear me again. The only way that you are rid of sin is the Lord Jesus takes it away. So that's part of the message. The other part of the message is this. The Lord has to be sought. Pharaoh said, entreat for me. In other words, go to God, ask God. Indeed, that's also true for us. The cure for the issue at hand is not knowledge. Just because you become wise in your own eyes does not mean that your sin problem is going to be dealt with. No, sir. You need to come to the Lord Jesus. You need to come to him. You need to bow to him. Bowing in faith. By that I mean that is to come to the Lord Jesus with a heart that's humble, confessing your sin. Lord, I can't take my sins away. I know, I know they're there. And I come to you, I believe that you, by your blood, can take my sins away. Do that and save me. That's how the plague is removed. Now, let me ask you this. If you come to the Lord Jesus and you ask him, to take away your sins, to forgive you and to save you, does he ever turn away from you? Does he ever say, no, I'm not going to do that. You are a, a different case. You are too bad. You are, well, your swarm is far more than anybody else's swarm. Does the Lord Jesus ever turn away? Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is about the confession and removal of sin. It's a psalm particularly about that subject. There David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite heart. O God, a broken and a heart, contrite heart thou wilt not despise. No, he won't turn away. Him that cometh unto me, I will no wise cast out. If you come to the Lord Jesus, he will take away the swarm. He'll take away the flies. He'll restore the land. And even when we turn to the Lord and have to point to swarms of sin, that's not 
That's not the reason why he takes it away, because of the volume or the lack thereof of sins that he sees. It's because he sees in you belief in his promise. You believe, you come, and for Jesus' sake, and in account of Jesus' work, he takes away the sin. So that, as I say, is the lesson here from this plague. Our sins are terrible. Our sins are like these flies. They're more than you can number. And they're vicious. And they plague us and they torment us, whether we want to admit it or not. And the only one that can take it away is the Lord Jesus. A very simple lesson, but one that we need to know And we need to know that the power that takes it away is the power of Jesus' blood. There is power in Jesus' blood to make or to wash me white as snow. Well, may the Lord bless his word to us. May he give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and to believe and see it true for ourselves as well. Let's all pray. Our Father and our God, now we would pray that you will bless the word of God. We pray that you will allow it to be that which is used of the Spirit of God to draw us to the feet of Christ. Lord, we are sinners. Lord, there's no denying that. We are awful sinners, every one of us. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh God. There is none righteous. No not one. But we are thankful that you tell us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. We pray that you will make that to be not only the experience of everyone in this room, but also the testimony that we might be able to say, Jesus Christ, took my sins away. Lord, continue to minister to us. Go with us as we leave this place. Keep us close to thy heart and thy mind, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.